This is Geek Gab with your hosts, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, July 8th, 2023. Dornall, how was your week? Hey, man. It's good to be back. My week's been pretty good. Uh, I haven't done much in the way of geeky stuff other than fitting in some games of wingspan in between tasks at work. I've been playing that online a bit with the fiance. Wedding planning is going well. Swimmingly, indeed. Uh, we're way ahead of the game on just about everything. Uh, so that's looking good. How stuff isn't going as uh, quickly, but isn't that how it is? That's how it goes. Have you ever seen the money pit? I have not. I do I I do remember the image, the photo of as a Tom Hanks one, right? Yeah. The the two characters just looking at this crater where the house was. I remember seeing something like that. It's a comedy. I haven't seen it. Supposedly it's really funny, and it'll probably make you feel better about your house. <laughs> because yeah, probably you can look at it and say you know what at least i'm not i don't live in that house right absolutely so. it's and and it you could be tempted to call my place a money pit but it's really not it, it is going to get really expensive for a minute but um I don't, I'm not going to say it qualifies as a money pit yet. Um, well, that's good news. I mean, there are just some things that are black vortexes of, of money that just suck them up. And it's nice to know your house isn't. <laughs> um, and all the jokes, honestly, that come to mind with black vortexes of money are are all like political because they're all government things. That's all I can think about. <laughs> Black vortexes of money. Um, a liberal arts degree from oh. an institution. Uh, I was see. I was thinking of like uh, military military hardware <laughs> hardware. Yeah, that's uh, infamous for. Solid gold toilet bowls at the Pentagon. Um, what else? A screwdriver for the Pentagon. I heard they. I heard those go for like ten thousand. Yeah. Uh, what else? So, vortexes of money. Um, tip real estate investment schemes. Uh, what else? Oh yeah, bitcoins. Those uh, board eight. Pictures, <laughs> the <Apparently>, NFTs. <laughs> apparently, Justin Bieber bought a board eight picture. This is a news story that I saw this week. Justin Bieber bought a board ape yacht club picture a few years ago when they were hot for three point one something million dollars. 3.14, I think, million dollars. And today wow. it is worth 
$1,500. Now, I am not surprised that it lost money because I was predicting that back when, you know, those were hot. I was predicting that was going to, that was like a, the tulip bulb craze in, in uh, Holland. Um, but what is astounding to me is that it's still worth $58,000. That's who, obscene. Who could you find to pay 59 grand for a picture on a blockchain? What the hell, people? I mean, and I said, you know, basically I said in my tweet that's still you know, $57,999 too much. And people were upset. They're like, what, you're saying that's worth a dollar? And I'm like, yeah. I I mean, look at cosmetics and video games. People pay more than a dollar for that crap. So yeah, it's at least worth a dollar to somebody to buy a picture on a blockchain. It's a little picture. People spend more of that buying, you know, Reddit, stuff for their avatar or uh little pictures for their um little pictures for their uh you know avis on twitter they get somebody to make a a little caricature of them people spend money like that on art a, a dollar isn't unreasonable for a little picture a, a little piece of art that you own okay i buy that it's worth a buck probably worth more um but 58,000 bucks I mean I'll confess something my picture cost me more than a dollar <laughs> cuz it came from a failed kickstarter there's a the Simon Hoggood owning a boat nailed it um oh yeah boat sold there's there's a huge difference between the you know, the custom commissioned artwork and, uh, well, whatever, whatever they're doing with NFTs. $3.14 million. I, we need to move on because I'm just going to be saying that for like an <laughs> hour. I can't believe, I couldn't believe it even when that was like a common thing. Uh, yeah. And then people were getting them stolen from hackers because apparently there was a a built-in algorithmic weakness in some of the exchanges that you couldn't get them back because that's just the way the blockchain worked. That I was like, holy crap, that's an even bigger ripoff than I thought. And I thought that was a the ultimate ripoff. So, yeah, no. A fool and his money, know, as they say. You could have had any, any picture that you could buy sold as an NFT. And the bored apes became like the fad thing. What the hell was that about? I don't get it. <laughs> um, yeah. So that... I guess that was the uh, the one news story I remembered from this week that wasn't political 
Um, but boy, cameras sure are failing in the White House. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a well. It's been a. I mean, uh, yeah, I know we stay for, away from that stuff on the show, uh, but it's also uh, remember at this time of the summer. It's also Supreme Court decision week. So, oh yeah, uh, that was fire. All those, all those decisions were published, you know, made a while back. But you now it's it, it's not as lively as when uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned, but uh, it's. If you're the type of person that actually pays attention to that stuff, I'm sure you're entertained, which is part of the point. One time I had an opportunity recently to listen to a broadcast of Fox News, um, and it's it's just depressing entertainment for one side of the aisle. Uh, I, I The only reason to watch anything like that is just to get yourself riled up because you enjoy the outrage. Um, and that's that's all. That's as far as I'm going to go on our our forbidden topic for today. Well, yeah, and I that's why I'm trying to move away from that stuff on my Twitter account. I've just stopped doing like culture war stuff and politics stuff for the most part because I don't know. I just don't want to be rage bait on Twitter. You know, I yep. mean, if you want rage bait on Twitter, there are you know, literally millions of other accounts besides me. I want to be like something positive and uplifting and uh, entertaining. Um, I mean, it's not like I don't have political opinions and I don't express them, but most of my opinions are cultural and not in a culture war sense, but just like, um, you know, here's why beautiful things are good and mm. why we should have them and here's something cool that i like there is a great picture i came across i just i want people to come to my account now and 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 find something that lifts their spirits for the day instead of something that is depressing or or you know rage inducing or whatever um i get you, you. just get the real world nowadays and people nowadays, I mean, there's just so much going on that has made me lose faith in the human race uh, or made me angry or could easily make you just hate people. And I, I want to get away from that. It has overwhelmed my ability to, you know, it has damaged my calm. So. I don't want to be the account that just retweets everything that makes me angry. I'm done. I'm done with that. Daddy I'm Warpig, to... I want you to I want you to be the change that you want to see on Twitter. <laughs> I want to be a good guy that that lifts people's spirits. That's basically it. So I've kind of adopted the same policy on my Twitter account that we've had on the show since the beginning. Um not perfectly, but I'm I'm really trying. Uh, I just want people to, you know, talk about good stuff, talk about stuff we enjoy, you know, talk about role playing games and comics and things, and uh, about the good things about it that are great. So, 
Yeah. I love those things. You mentioned role-playing games. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, Really exciting stuff. Uh, Aside from the terrible stuff that happened, speaking of negative Twitter, but really exciting stuff is happening in the AD&D, the BroSR space. Um, More and more people are using one-to-one time more and more people are exploring the consequences of playing those rules as they were written um i mean the gift of of secrets of blackmore what that's opened to us and uh all the experiments in Trilopolis and other games uh people are still exploring that and there's been a marked change in the conversation on Twitter and social media, um, the persistence of folks like Jeffro and um, Mr. Wargaming and others in that sphere, they've really paid off. Uh, just it's and it's that daily work, that consistency of uh, here's here's what we uh, here's what we observed. And here are our findings, right? Here's the evidence. Here's the play reports. Here's how my players in particular reacted to, uh, you know, for example, not being able to stop the game at the end of the night in the middle of the dungeon, right? Uh, You know, the game world keeps going. Well, the game doesn't stop, right? And that's not only is it sort of interesting academically, but you can replicate it across tables and it just keeps happening really good stuff uh the and and the persistence of uh those of us playing those types of games and talking about it has created that momentum of positive thinking and positive action i'd love to think that it's a model for i mean i said it in jest a minute ago but for being the change that you want to be in your particular peer group or uh, hobby or culture or whatever. Just do the right thing and consistently put in the work. It's really fascinating. Um, Twitter make it made it difficult to read when you don't have an account. So I don't blame you if you don't follow these guys anymore. Um, but Daddy Warpig follows them, so if you have Daddy Warpig's account, check out his interactions with the other BroSR guys. Um, really fascinating stuff. More and more people are seeing Jeff Rose, uh, How to Win at D&D, his preview of his upcoming book. It's like 40 pages of really well-written stuff about the nature of the game. I can't recommend it enough. Mr. Wargaming just did. Uh, that's Joy of Wargaming here on YouTube. Uh, I think it's just youtube.com slash joyofwargaming. Uh, he just recently did a video review of it. Great stuff. Uh, much better review than I can do. Um, I know I'm rambling a little bit. It's been really exciting to play D&D these days. Uh, the Trollopolis game itself, and I feel I can start to spoil things right now, uh, because there is currently a face-to-face game in progress uh, where one of the characters in that game is in trouble with the local authorities. He's actually on trial for homicide, uh, which 
that seems like a weird charge in the murder hobo game, but uh, the important part is that this resulted from the always-on campaign, that Brownstein-style game where all the players are interacting with the game master uh, through email, Discord, Twitter, whatever, because something, a thing or two that some of the characters did uh, has had an impact in the game world, and all of a sudden, a whole, like, three or four different threads going back months of game time. Uh, starting with the infamous flail snail trap scenario. All these things where where a couple of players and a henchman were, uh, were captured. Thought killed, but uh, apparently they were captured and not killed by some bad guys. Uh, that has caused a series of events that has led to a character in a different game in the face-to-face role-playing game. All of a sudden, he's in trouble because of the actions of the bad guys and some of those guys, and there might be a gnome involved. There might be some other characters involved. We don't know. We'll find out. Uh, absolutely crazy. These are the sorts of things that, and, and if you've played RPGs, you know what I'm talking about, and if you don't, you've probably checked out by now. But if you are the game master and you want your players to have interesting and fun adventures and crazy things happening, and you're coming up with all this stuff in between sessions, you know, you can spend hours at your notebook or your prep station going, oh, yeah, and wouldn't it be cool if so-and-so tried to do this and, and did this and, you know, the players show up next week and I say, well, guess what? You know, someone tried to do this while you were... Uh, where you were training or resting up or something like that, right? And it's it takes hours. It takes hours to do what a few players in a Discord chat can do in 30 minutes. And what they come up is with is better. I don't care how creative you are as a dungeon master. Uh, you can have the, mo- the coolest, most creative setting for everybody to act in. But it, when it comes to crazy things happening in the game world that the players get to interact with or respond to nothing beats having other groups of players interacting with that world and and they'll come they'll come into conflict naturally in all sorts of different ways uh really cool stuff it's great to see it in action um and uh, i wish i wish i could explain it to you in a little bit more detail daddy warpig I am privy to some of the details of the weird posts on Jeffro this week, but uh, but I have to keep my lips sealed for for the remainder. All right. Um, yeah, there are a lot of things that are being revived from '70s gaming culture that were not transmitted. Uh, strongly in the move to um, in the in the move to 80s gaming culture and so people just didn't know about them and so didn't play them anymore and uh, it turns out those things uh, and and we're talking about 
uh, and we've talked about them on the show before, one-to-one time during downtime. Um, so that in between sessions, time moves at a rate of one real day for one in-game day, um, which is standard for AD&D. Other games had different rates. Um, and uh, other similar rules just weren't uh, used for the last, you know, 40 years. They turn out to have great effects on play that are, the effects of these rules are really revolutionary and they can be applied to games other than AD&D or D&D variants. Um, and I want to jump in there. Famously, famously, the World of Darkness games took on those wargaming aspects, particularly in their live-action role-playing sessions. They always used one-to-one time. Uh, if you wanted to travel to another city and play your vampire, uh, you know, you have to make it on that day of the week and uh, your character is physically in that city for that night, right? And it was a nonstop player versus player environment in the style of a Brownstein. They famously kept those traditions where they where those those play styles and those rules were lost to the rest of the gaming community. Yeah, they they either kept them or they reinvented them. Um, so what we're seeing now is, uh, is those rules are starting to break out. They're starting to reach uh, a larger and larger audience right now, just in the OSR. Um, but I predict, um, and again, I can't remember a time where I've said I predict in in connection with the birth of the pulp revolution or, you know, the spreading of the OSR where I've been wrong. (laughs) So I predict um, that you're going to see some of these things become design points in future games where people who are uh, probably first in the OSR writing their own games are going to start putting one-to-one time and other aspects of, you know, Jeffrogaxian timekeeping and other things into their games um, because they are seeing what's happening with them and people using them and try them out themselves and like them and say, okay, this, this is how you should be playing your, uh, you know, OSR game. And these are the rules you should be using. Whether they credit the bro SR or not, 
I predict that it's going to have an influence because of the sheer number of games being produced nowadays. It is a golden age of game uh, publishing, of indie game publishing. I, I just predict that people are going to start using them, and then that's just going to help them spread more. Um, so, yeah. Uh, it's it's cool. It's cool to watch a, a culture shift like that happen in real time. All right. Speaking of shifts. Let's shift into the topic of today's show. <laughs> yes, indeed. So I watched a couple of movies. Um, and you said you might be able to go see them, but maybe not. Uh, oh, I, did... I wasn't able to see them, no. All righty. So I went and saw Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And I also went and saw Into the Spider-Verse, Across the Spider-Verse, Out of the Spider-Verse. The uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Okay. Although it's not really Spider-Man, it's Miles Morales. Um, who's not Spider-Man because he's just not Peter Parker is Spider-Man so he's not Spider-Man he's just he got to be in a Spider-Man comic book for a while um, they should have given him a different name there's so many different spider names you can give him Miles Morales is not Spider-Man sorry you can call him Spider-Man all you want you can give him more powers to try and make him seem cooler than spider-man but he's he's not spider-man he's just not um i'm not saying he's a bad guy i'm not saying he's a bad character uh he's just not spider-man um well since i'm rant ranting about miles morales uh let's get that movie out of the way first the first movie, um, and this is a direct sequel to the first movie, um, the situations in this movie follow on from the first movie, uh, although it does not have Kingpin or Doc Ock and those other things. Um, if you saw the first movie uh, and liked the first movie, I think you'll like this movie. I enjoyed it. I liked it. It was an enjoyable movie. It had a lot of good action. Um, it is uh, a bit bonkers for several reasons. It's all about the multiverse thing, which I guess people are starting to hate. Uh, and it's a comic book movie, which I guess some people are starting to hate. So if you hate comic book movies now, then you're not going to like this. It's a good movie. It's a well-made movie. Um, the first movie had its own unique, distinctive animated style. A lot of, and it's computer animated, it, a lot of people, Pixar came out and established their own artistic style. And the difficulty with animated movies is they were so popular that, Everything else was either 
trying to be close to Pixar or trying to get away from Pixar. And many times they did it in a bad way. There are a lot of computer animated movies that did strong things in their own style that were great. Um, and I'm blanking on the name. Go, go surf. Surf's up. Surf's up. I love that movie with a passion you don't even know. I will rewatch that movie so many times. Um, it had Jeff Bridges and um, oh, the young actor who was in Fury and Holes and uh, the Transformers. Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf in it as voices. Voices. It was because it's an animated movie. They were they were voice acting. Such a wonderful movie. Great uh, animation. And it was all of the uniqueness was down to the artistic style of the characters. You know how in classic animation, Warner Brothers had a distinct style that was very wacky and the characters uh, were distorted a lot. Their necks stretched out. Daffy's uh, bill uh, flipped around his face or fell off. It was a very surrealistic style, whereas Disney was a very staid style. The characters had models and they stayed on model. They didn't do as wacky stuff. Uh, Betty Boop had her own distinct animation style. Um, so it was a very distinct artistic style, how the characters were modeled, but it was still in a uh, concrete computer animated world. Whereas um, the first Into the Spider-Verse movie had a really um, strong artistic style that was almost hand-painted or hand-drawn. Um, and it gave the movie this very unique appearance. And this second movie sort of leans into that even more. And it I've seen some people who are annoyed by it. They really hate it. I thought it was, um, I didn't love all of what they did, but I thought it was a very strong choice and they, uh, and it was really cool in many places. Sometimes I felt like they went too far, but it was really well done and really cool in a lot of places. And it really helped when they switched worlds from multiverse, uh, from universe to universe to show they were in a different place because they had different strong artistic styles for each world that established the character of that world, that established the feel of that world almost instantly. Uh, you could tell you were in a different world and it had, because it had a different uh, feel to it. And it was like reading a comic book with artists who had different strong styles. Like Bill Sinkovich, um, he developed a really strong style. And if you look at Electra Assassin 
or the covers to um, the New Mutants comics. He had a style that was so unique and so strong, it just stood out from everybody else. And so one of the characters who was uh, punk rock Spider-Man, um, I think his name was literally Punk Spider, uh, he was done in kind of a Sinkovich style. And it was a little bit annoying in places because it was really hard to watch, really hard to see the character himself. But it also matched the character and matched his personality, matched the world he was from. And so it uh, immediately established some things right out of the gate. And it made sense for the multiverse. Just like uh, Spider-Man Noir in the original movie was all in black because his world was black and white and so on and so forth. The very first uh, villain you meet is Vulture, but it's Vulture from a world that's entirely done in the style of uh, Leonardo da Vinci drawings. So it's on brown paper with uh, black line drawings and his gear and his gadgets are all done up as if they had been drawn by da Vinci. And it gave him a strong feel, not only in the art, but it affected who the character was, what his costume was, what his abilities and gadgets were. And it all formed a coherent whole. In other words, this isn't just a visual tag. It isn't just some uh, extraneous flavor on the screen. It was thought out and uh, thought out to an extent that it formed a unified whole. They, they made a character not just flashy animation. And you've got to respect that. that it's a took, clever conceit. I like it. Yeah. They took the time to think it through. They took the time to make it matter. The art style mattered. Um, and in with, uh, they call her Spider-Woman. It's uh, Gwen... Uh, Gwen Spider Gwen in the in the comics, Gwen Stacy. Um, her room in her house looks like it's done in water paints, like it's been painted in, in water paints or or um in thumb strokes in paint. I mean, you could almost see someone painting it with their thumb. And when she's sad. It's all in blues uh, and purples. And when her dad comes in and she's sad and, and she's upset and she's feeling alone and lonely. And then her dad is talking to her and he's doing the dad thing. And he says something to make her feel better. And she feels love for him. And she feels warmth because he's showing how much he loves her. All of a sudden, the... The room itself warms up 
and the shades switch to pinks and uh, you know subdued pastel oranges and yellows. Literally, the worm, the 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 room warms up to show her emotions as she jumps up and gives her dad this big hug. Um, and so in her world, the colors around her respond to her emotions and you can see, and the emotions of other characters. And she's a female character and it's very responsive to her like that. And it's a very emotional world. Um, and it's very touching and it's very sweet. Um, and it's very feminine. And so they make her character, they emphasize the femininity of her character through the animation style, through how the world reacts to her. Um, and with her father, the colors around him, when he's doing his big moment, are cooler masculine colors, are stronger colors, and uh, they're, they're greens. When he's doing his big moment, they're greens. Uh, so he's not cold and depressed, but he is being masculine and strong, and they respond emotionally by shifting towards um, greenish yellow uh, and yellows. Um, so that he doesn't have pinks or oranges. Um, and, and so they didn't just do this outre animation style out of the blue or off the cuff. They, they really thought it through for the characters and uh, and it's just lovely. Um, so the movie is exciting. It's got, you know, some great characterization. Um, this reminds me a bit of when the first one came out, where um, it's not as bad this as this time, where. Spider-Man, uh, the first Spider-Verse one, didn't do so great. But people who saw it, including you and me, were like, no, it's actually pretty good, pretty fun to watch. Um, but people aren't rushing to see it in the theater because they're tired of the cape stuff. They're tired of the multiverse stuff. But I'm, I'm hearing the same thing that I heard from you. I'm hearing the same thing that I heard from the first Spider-Verse. Like, yeah, you know, you might be sick of that stuff, but look, it's pretty good. It's it's a fun movie. I, I enjoyed it. Um, and it's, uh, I mean, it's not a flop. It's successful. It's it's making a profit. And especially in this year, it's, it's doing really well. Um, I mean, it's not a billion dollar blockbuster, but it's doing really well. And so... I'm happy for it. This movie deserves to do well. It's a good movie. So I enjoyed it. I give it a thumbs up. I give it a recommend, uh, especially if you like the first movie. Um, and yeah, there are a billion Spider-Men in the movie. 
Um, and they're pretty funny and interesting, uh, the ones that get screen time. And they do some great stuff with their multiverse. Um, and there are callbacks to some of the famous spider memes that are kind of amusing. You're glad they put, I, I'm glad they're in there. They were kind of cute. And they weren't, they weren't like shoehorned in or uh, like obvious and bad like some of the memes have been. They were just kind of cute. They were done like the Sonic movie where they were there and they were just kind of cute. They were not, uh, uh, they were not heavy handed or stupid. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Cool. A glimmer of hope. That might be, uh, I'm sure a lot of people are thinking this way. That might be something I catch on uh on streaming which is how i saw the other spider verse cool stuff um i don't think we can say the same things about the uh box office for the other movie you saw though oh yeah so here's the thing about um indiana jones and the dial of destiny it had a worse opening weekend than uh the solo movie um, Indiana Jones had a worse opening weekend than the solo movie. The solo movie being uh, notoriously a flop for Disney, the first Star Wars movie to lose money. Uh, it had a $225 million budget. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny has a $300 million budget. Wow. Um, so it is almost certainly to lose uh, money for Disney and uh, probably a lot of money for Disney. Disney has lost $900 million in its movies over the last several years. Um, and Lucasfilm is a big part of that. Having notorious, there were three franchises that came out or three IPs that came out of Lucasfilm, that's Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and Willow. And they have killed all of them. Willow TV series being so bad that after a few months, they pulled it from the Disney Plus streaming service. It was made for Disney Plus uh, as a tax write-off. And so it's gone. It's disappeared. You can't watch it anymore. It's not available on DVD or anything. It is just vanished into the ether. Wow. Um, and, you know, Star Wars infamously being the Star Wars disaster that it's become. And it looks like Indiana Jones's fifth movie is as big a financial disaster, people are just not wanting to go see it or just not going and seeing it. Not, not and, interested in going to the theater, no. I want to say this. Indiana Jones is not what everybody feared it would be. But it's not a good movie. It is a mediocre movie. 
it's an action movie that's not very exciting. And it's blah. It is not execrable. It's not a steaming pile of repellent refuse, but it's not very good. I wouldn't recommend it, but it is James Mangold, the director, and I should have looked up what other movies he has directed right before the show so it'd be fresh in my mind, but he's not a bad director. He's made good movies. And uh, you can see in Indiana Jones, he is trying very, very hard to make a good movie. Um, he made Logan, Ford versus Ferrari, and Walk the Line. I liked all of those movies. Um, and so, uh, he made The Wolverine, which people seem to have liked. I haven't seen it. Um, Night and Day, which is a great action movie. 310 to Yuma, which was really good. Um, yeah, I liked that one. That was a good remake. Copland, which I love. Uh, it's such a good movie. Um, so he's a good director. Um, and you can see him struggling to make a good movie in the face of executive interference for what they demanded be put in the movie. And he put them in the movie without making it what everybody assumed it would be. And everybody assumed it would be solo or um, whatever super, you know, Super uh, trash the old guy, elevate the new guy movie. You've oh, seen. sure, yeah. That you know, kill off the past. They thought it would be another um, The Last Jedi or The Force Awakens. Yeah. So. I'm not trying to defend the movie and I'm not trying to make you think, oh, I should go see this. So everything I'm about to say should not be taken as a recommendation. It is just me telling you what the movie was. Um, and also me telling you what the movie should have been or, or, or what's bad about it. Indiana Jones is there. 
He's not the hero. Indiana Jones should be the hero in an Indiana Jones movie. That's who he's always been. He should be the top doc. He should be the number one. He should be the most impressive character. He's always been the most impressive character. Everybody else is second to Indiana Jones. That's how the movie should go. That's what an Indiana Jones movie is. He is not the most impressive character in this movie. However, he is not, and uh, this is a phrase from TV tropes, he is not the butt monkey. In far too many modern movies, the person who should be the hero or was the hero is made the butt monkey. They are made deliberately incompetent uh made to look bad so some other character um can who's the brand new character typically female can be made to look like a super duper awesome uh strong character that does not happen in indiana jones he's not made to look bad to elevate another character however he is placed on absolutely equal footing with this other brand new female character whose name nobody can remember because they are so forgettable, played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Um, you complained about an actor that I like being a uh, black void of charisma. <laughs> Yes. Um, and you can remember the name probably. I can't right now. Because... Uh, we were probably talking about either Gerard Butler or Gerard Sam Butler. Worthington. Sam Worthington's worse, but. Yeah. Gerard Butler, I disagree with you, but Phoebe Waller Bridge is a black hole of charisma. I just do not understand how this woman keeps on getting roles. She should not be a lead. She shouldn't. Just, oh. <laughs> Sometimes I it's like Hollywood. that. Um, and she is placed on an equal footing with Indiana Jones in this movie. And her character doesn't deserve it. As an actress, she doesn't deserve it. Um, she does not have the charisma, and she does not have the um, doesn't have the looks. She is not an attractive woman. Sorry, you may not like it, but if you want to be a lead in Hollywood. Um, she isn't a Mary Sue, but she's not perfect. She doesn't do everything effortlessly and stuff like that. But so you can see James Mingold is really trying hard. This, this character was mandated by... Kathleen Kennedy, because superhuman brunettes are in every movie she makes. 
and you'll just have and every series she makes and you'll just have to go back and verify that um i retweeted a tweet that listed them and it's astonishing um it just she's not she shouldn't be on par with indy and i'm i'm going to do some spoilers here i'm sorry I'm sorry. We can spoil crap. It's okay. Those of you who don't want to have this movie spoiled should probably, you know, fast forward for the next few minutes. At one point in the movie, these bad guys come into Indiana Jones's university where he's working. And to prove they're bad guys, they shoot two people for no good reason just because they're there. They could talk their way out of it. They could, you know, whatever. They just shoot the two people. So they are clearly murderous bad guys. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character locks Indiana Jones. She steals this artifact from Indiana Jones after misleading him for the last like 10 minutes of the movie or five minutes of the movie, or whatever. It felt like 10 minutes. She's supposed, she's his goddaughter. She's the daughter of his good friend who we've seen since the beginning of the movie. She locks him in a cage with these bad guys in order to steal this, the Dial of Destiny, escapes through a window, and just runs away. So she is completely unlikable. She's a villain at that point. She hasn't killed anybody, but she's a villain. She smoothed Indiana Jones, used her emotional connection with him to get in good with him and then stole from him a, a, an artifact her own dad said was so dangerous it should be destroyed and then ran and then there's this foot chase across the roofs of new york and we're supposed to be thrilled by all the jumping and running but we don't care because she's a villain. Yeah, we want to see we want to see Indy catch up with her. Yeah, we want to see Indy catch her and, and take the dial from her. Why would we care about her? Why would that what what are the stakes of this foot chase? Why would we in any way, shape, or form feel feel anything for her why would we care nobody cares so it was just a complete emotional misreading of the audience we don't care about this character so the foot chase isn't exciting um the director tries really, really hard to take all of these notes and all of these demands for the script 
and make a good movie anyway. He tries hard to make it an Indiana Jones movie with exciting chases and stuff that are in different that are different than previous Indiana Jones movies. So the audience has, um, so the audience has something different to thrill at. He tries to put in, you know, a different ick factor than was in previous Indiana Jones movies. That he's using all the creativity he has to take this mess of garbage and make something great out of it. Um, but it is, at the end of the day, still garbage. I mean, I got notes here. I took notes. Um, it misses the feel of the Indiana Jones movies, that is, archaeology and wilds and antique places. It had horse chases and car chases and cities, and we don't need that twice, especially in 1969 New York. Um, she's supposed to be an old friend, but we got no sense of the, the camaraderie that we got from, say, his friend in Temple of Doom. I don't remember if you remember the introduction to Temple of Doom. Um, but he had his friend there who was the uh, Asian guy who I, I can't remember the character's name, but he got shot uh, or poisoned or stabbed or something. And he died and he said, uh, I can't have any more adventures with you into the great unknown. I go first. Um, and you got you actually felt bad because he got a sense of camaraderie for the characters. You really felt like they had gone on many adventures before. But you got no sense of camaraderie from, from uh, you had, uh, and this isn't V.B. Waller-Bridge's character, you had Antonio Banderas show up, uh, who is supposedly another old friend of Indiana Jones, and you've got no sense of camaraderie from that character to equal that of the introduction to Temple of Doom. And so it was kind of, uh, it was kind of, a missed opportunity. I would have liked to feel the same way about that character. Um, but it wasn't. Indiana Jones at the beginning of the movie is kind of a loser. He's living in an apartment. Uh, Mutt, who is his son, Shia LaBeouf, um, joined up in Vietnam and got killed. Oh, I was uh, going to ask why Shia wasn't in this one. He did. They killed him off screen. What douchebags. In between the two movies. Um, and then Marion, his wife, who they got married in the last movie, um, has left him. They're separated. They're not quite divorced, but they're separated. Oh, for Pete's sake. Um, and everybody says they're divorced. They're not divorced because he still has the papers, uh, which means he hasn't signed them and returned them yet. Um, because they're still on the blue backs that you get as part of uh, the official documents that are delivered to you. Um, but Indiana Jones himself wouldn't be a poor loser in a tiny apartment in New York. 
He would have written several popular archaeological books, um, books about the Nazi search for magical artifacts, and he could even have written volumes of quote-unquote fictional stories about the Ark of the Covenant and his other, you know, magical adventures that people wouldn't believe that would have been... I mean, you remember the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. He could have written reams of books that he could have claimed were fictional about the actual adventures he had as a kid. And they would have been bestsellers from the famous Indiana Jones. And then fictional books about, hey, Ark of the Covenant and Nazis being burned and fictional books about, hey, these three stones, these Sankara stones and and, you know, these uh, uh, evil guys, you know, they burn through the bag. And, hey, here's we also got the Holy Grail and and it, you know, earthquake and and guy being aged early. He, he would have been a very successful author just based on relating, quote unquote, fictional stories. And then also written solid archaeological books about, you know, popular archaeological books about, we, we see him teaching about uh, the, a battle where uh, the Romans were landing uh, at, um, uh, uh, the battle where Archimedes, um, and I can't remember the New York City that's also named the same as this battle. The Romans were landing and Archimedes used mirrors to burn Roman ships and, and so on and so forth. Um, he would have been very prosperous as an author. Uh, not an unknown, uh, he starts as an unknown professor at a tiny college and the students barely pay attention to him. Uh, that would not have been Indiana Jones even in 1969. It is a ridiculous way to start off the movie. And again, that seems like a Kathleen Kennedy note, because that's how uh, Harrison Ford's character was Han Solo in The Force Awakens. That's how Luke Skywalker was in uh, The Last Jedi. And now that's how Han Solo is. They're broken down. Their families are gone. Uh and they're complete losers. And it's just not plausible. And it's not how the story should end. It's not how the story should begin. Um, and Solo should, or uh, Indiana Jones should be with Marion. And he should be famous and successful. And he should have a comfortable life, and he's drawn into this one last adventure, even though he's old, uh, for, uh, for very important reasons having to do with the Dial of Destiny. And that's how the story should begin, and that's how the story should progress, is this successful Indiana Jones going on a final adventure 20 years after he basically retired uh, from adventuring. Um, 
And he should be Indiana Jones, not, uh, you know, a regular schlub. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I say this is sort of uh, this is sort of evidence against your claim that it isn't what everybody expected it would be, or at least my interpretation. It sounds like they did do the Force Awakens with the character, uh, making him miserable like that at the beginning. It's a shame. Yeah, but during the movie, he's still Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. He still does the things he's supposed to do. It's just that there's also this sidekick character who's just as good as him. Not better than him, but just as good as him. And there's never a sidekick character that's just as good as Indiana Jones. Ever. Right. There never should be. They shot, I'm assuming at the behest of the studio, an ending. Apparently they shot six different endings. But they shot an ending where uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge takes Indiana Jones's hat and puts it on. Oh, uh, dear. Because there was supposed to be like a passing of the torch where she was going to become, you know, the next Indiana Jones. But thankfully that never made it to screen. That is not the ending that's in the movie. That's weird. Um, I thought I thought I thought Shia, I thought they passed the torch to Shia at the end of the Crystal Skull. I wonder what happened there. No, he picked up the hat and was gonna put it on, but Indy grabbed it from him and was like, no, 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 and put it on his head and walked out with Marion. <laughs> so no, there was no passing of the torch at the end of the crystal skull. Um and the only good part of the Crystal Skull was Marion uh, and Indy getting married. Uh, and they should have been married at the start of this movie. Yeah. Um, but again, spoilers, at the end of the movie, the ending they went with, um, she does return to him, you know, and... Uh, Indy does take his hat back and he does have his hat it is not passed on to some other character Um, and they reignite their marital passion in a uh, discreet way a discreet and geriatric way well, they don't show it on the screen, but, you know, <laughs> they're very definitely reigniting their marital passion <laughs> in a way that, you know, kids won't understand, but adults are like, oh, oh, well, that's nice. <laughs> um, so. I mean, the ending that they went with, um, is a good ending for Indy. They didn't screw him over. 
They didn't screw him over like they screwed Han Solo over. They didn't screw him over like they screwed Luke Skywalker over. I'm it genuinely surprised. I mean, Han Solo said, you know, yeah, I'll do Star Wars only if you kill me off. Surprised he didn't do the same with Indy. Um, and in, all, in these movies where, you know, the new protagonist is made to look great for the, uh, especially female protagonist, the, you're never allowed to save them. Ever. You can't ever save them. Um, because of the princess rule, right? It's damseling, damsel in distress. You can't do that. Right. Uh, that is not done in this movie. Indy is allowed to save, you know, the female character. Um, and immediately after the female character also saves Indy. Um, so James Mangold is really trying to work with the restrictions that he's given. He's really trying to not make what the Hollywood modern movies want him to make, what Kathleen Kennedy wants him to make. And so when all these people on Twitter and other places say, um, this isn't a modern movie. They're using different words, of course. This isn't a modern movie. This isn't one of those. And I wish I could remember names of those movies, but they're so forgettable. They go out of my mind already. Um, I, mean, I can't even hate them enough to remember them, to use them as examples. But, but you know what I'm talking about. Here's a brand new female character, and they're just as good as, oh, uh, Terminator Genesis. Good example. Um, I think. I think it was Terminator Genesis that was a good example. Um, where they're superhuman and they're never challenged by anything and everything they do is right and uh, all the old characters are showed up and are made to look super crappy just so the new character can look good and and they're never in any trouble and they can never be saved by anyone else. And uh, they're always abrasive, right? They're always abrasive and rude, rude because that shows strength. Um, he's really trying hard not to make that kind of movie. And uh, so he's dancing around all these things. And unfortunately, it's not that kind of movie, but it has enough of it to just not quite work. So, so all of the all of the bad press, all of the um, everybody not going to see it, all well deserved in your opinion. Yes. And all these people who are saying it's exciting and great, it's, it's an, it. an indie movie. It, it is not true. It is not an indie movie. It is not exciting and great. Um, the car chase and Tangiers that you see, indie is generally, genuinely allowed to be a hero. 
He's, he yells at Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I know Tangiers. And it's a perfect setup for her to embarrass him by pointing out that this is a modern city. He hasn't been here in 20 years, yada, yada, yada. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen even the slightest. He's shown to be knowledgeable. He gets to the city. Um, but the chase just goes on way too long. Um, it needed to be cut down short. Um, it, I mean, it needed to be cut down to be much shorter than it is. It's not that there aren't individually exciting moments. It's that it just goes on way too long. Um, you were saying that there was a fight in John Wick that went on way too long. Mm-hmm. Um, which I didn't feel like, or maybe I felt like it, but I didn't care because the fight was so great. This this goes on way too long. It it way overstates its well, way overstays its welcome. Um, and again, it's another chase in a city, which we just had in New York. Um, and it's not like the New York chase was bad. It's just we didn't need two chases in a city. Uh, especially when we also had another foot chase in the roofs of New York. They're just too similar, just too same. Uh, we needed to, one of those three needed to be cut, and the Tangiers car chase needed to be cut, needed to be short. One of those three chases needed to be removed from the movie entirely, and one of them needed to be cut way down. There are good things in this movie. There are good action scenes in this movie. The diving scene where they dive into the ocean is fabulous. I really loved it. I love the concept of it. I love the execution of it. It's great. Um, again, it's a little long. They could have uh, they could have done the ticking time. Uh, a little bit better to make it more thrilling, to make it more, to make the audience feel more nervous. Um, and but it was, it was still good. I liked it. Um, the main villain was kind of flat. He could have used some more personality. Um, his henchmen are great. I loved the henchmen. Um, they had just enough characterization to be who they were uh, and just enough characterization that you really hated them. And they were good villains to hate. I mean, you hated them as bad guys the way you're supposed to hate bad guys. They weren't boring or intrusive bad guys. Got it. Um, Some bad guys, you're just like, oh, my hell, is this guy showing up again? Get him out of the movie. These bad guys were like, I really wanted you to kill these guys. I want them to die. Um, so it's not like there's nothing bad in the movie. It's just that there's enough stuff going on that weighs it down. And what weighs it down is uh, missed emotional beats. Um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge should not be seen as a no 
noble character. She should be a Benny. If they're gonna make her that be this slimy person who steals from Indy and sets him up, and I'm talking about Benny from The Mummy. Everybody remembers The Mummy, right? Yep, I remember and Benny you, from The Mummy. Benny from The Mummy. Slimy, great character. Great character. Slimy comic relief. She starts off as a slimy character. She should kind of stay a slimy character throughout the movie. You shouldn't feel sympathy for her. You shouldn't try to rehabilitate her later in the movie unless she really does something to deserve it. And she never does something to to deserve it. Uh, She never redeems herself. And they try to shift to make her a sympathetic character or to make her you know, a co-heroine, uh, a co-hero, and she never deserves it. There's nothing she does to deserve it. So definitely she never deserved to pick up the hat, and I'm glad they got rid of that part of the movie. Um, so I, I think Kathleen Kennedy just has a tin ear for characters. She just has a tin ear for characterization. For emotional beats, she she has this idea of what she wants to do to push certain viewpoints in her movies, and they just don't work because they're not. She's more concerned with the viewpoints than she is with making good characters in a solid movie, and she just needs to stop, or I don't think she can stop. She just needs to be taken out of the position she's in, out of the power she's in over Lucasfilm movies because she's run the studio into the ground. There's nothing left for Lucasfilm. Um, she's ruined everything Lucasfilm has. There's nothing left in their cupboard. She's ruined it all. She's a very heavy-handed producer. She, Her agenda is tops. She maintains tight reign on the directors and on the scripts. And she has to be a nightmare to work with. Um, And I think James Mingle rebelled against it as much as you can and still make a good movie. And I think that everything in this movie that that went wrong clearly has the stamp of Kathleen Kennedy because it's everything that went wrong, not just in previous Lucasfilm movies, but also in Lucasfilm video games. Um, The single player campaign in um, Battlefield Battlefront 2 by EA, which was a fun as a video game, the video game parts were fun. The story was really heavy-handed and obnoxious. Um, the villain in the first um, Jedi Knight Survivors prequel, uh, uh, in the first one, which was Jedi Knight something or other, I can't remember the name of the game, the single-player story had a villain who really fell into this. Um, uh, 
all the other video games that ended up with brunette female protagonists. Uh, there's another one that's coming out uh, that I can't remember the name of, but the entire brunette protagonist and the the theme of the story is I'm a woman who's been held back my entire life and here's my chance to shine. I mean, that's almost autobiographical the way Kathleen Kennedy sees her life. Um, so it is, uh, that's just the theme she constantly pushes. I'm a woman who's been held back my entire life, and now it's a chance to really show what I am. And unfortunately, She's been too inculcated with just this agenda she's pushing to really make the most of the opportunity she's been getting. She's been given. Uh, it's a shame. And uh, Disney doesn't care. You know, she would have been removed a long time ago after Star Wars flopped. I... I really think Kathleen Kennedy is very, very good at politics. She's very, very good at setting up Disney in a lose-lose situation. If Kathleen Kennedy goes, if she leaves Disney, she's going to burn that place to the ground. She's going to dump all the dirt about what goes on at Disney, and she's going to portray herself as the female executive who was unjustly fired um, and look at all the uh, groundbreaking progressive things she did to advance the cause of all of these groups. And she has outmaneuvered the CEO of Disney to where she's made herself basically unfireable. If any CEO that fired her would get themselves scorched and socially and uh, career-wise, they would be burned in Hollywood forever. Hmm. Um. They, they would be absolutely anathema. They would be untouched. I, I think they, they might reach Mel Gibson levels of hated in Hollywood. <laughs> um, I just, I see the things she's done. And right after, Right after a big Star Wars flop, she announced uh, she announced a movie that had technically been canceled. Um, but it was a big, great, uh, or, or a Disney Plus TV series. It was a big, great uh, TV series with um, 
you know, a female protagonist who is also a member of like three other protected groups. And she just set it out there and made herself basically unfireable at that point. Um, and then she's continued those maneuverings behind the scenes. Um, she is so good at office politics. She's so good at public relations. Um, she is exactly the kind of person that uh, never should have been put in her position because she can never be taken out of her position. And I think the executives and the board of directors is in a very, very bad spot. Their own employees have required them to take positions that are fiscally bad for the company, that is financially bad for the company. And on the threat of strikes or of people leaving the company who they literally can't replace right now. And we're seeing a race between bankruptcy and replacing these people. And it's, it's an open question who's going to win, bankruptcy or um, the employees who are pushing them into doing things like what they did in Florida. I mean, if we're still talking about Disney, uh, they're not going out of business anytime soon. I I wouldn't even I wouldn't expect it to happen even in our lifetimes. That's my prediction. But they sure will kill off Lucasfilm and Marvel Studios and everything else. Pixar. Pixar. Yeah, we didn't mention that earlier when we talked about the box office. Uh, Pixar, their qualities declined steadily since Toy Story 3. And uh, and the box office is really killing them. They're spending... Elements or elementals or whatever it was. Huge disaster. Strange world, even bigger disaster. The Lightyear, previous... total bomb. Yeah, Lightyear, absolute bomb. The previous two movies, uh, I think there were two movies in between Lightyear and Strange World were so bad, they went straight to Disney+. Plus. That's Red and something else. I mean, Pixar used to be a mark of quality. You used to be able to just go to a Pixar movie unseen because you knew it was quality. Uh, they fired their main story guy over what seems to have been spurious accusations of gross sexual misconduct that weren't actually sexual misconduct. He was just a hugger. He said hi and he hugged everybody, male and female. And they used that as, you know, accusations of sexual harassment to eject him. And he was their talent. He was their story guy. And everybody who moved up in his wake has proven to be um, disastrous. They just can't make stories like he made stories. And then they went heavy into agenda and audiences have just walked away. 
And I liked the magic movie. I liked the wizard movie. But apparently it's really disliked by a large segment of people who really, really, really disliked it. And it didn't do so well at the box office. I don't think it outright flopped. I don't think it lost money. But it definitely was not as big a moneymaker as Pixar's previous movies. So it's part of what you said was a gradual decline. Toy Story 4 made money, but it was an awful movie. And I think it set up future Toy Story movies to actually start flopping. Which, you know, that's a Star Wars level ruination event. If you ruin the Toy Story movie enough to where it starts losing money, you have really achieved something right there. That is that is an accomplishment. That is a great accomplishment. Um, and he used great not in the sense of good, but great in its original sense of, you know, impressive, big. Well, so, yeah. I think I... Uh, it, it's a shame, but it, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, and that's, that's one of the reasons why um, even, even Pixar, I, when we were to earlier in the chat, we were talking about tells or signs that you're about to get low quality entertainment. That uh, just, I'm not going to put any um, faith or, or anything in, anything disney produces even if it's pixar even if it's it's this or that uh, these sorts of marks of quality have become anti-marks of quality um but we should probably wrap up because i don't i'm not sure there's anything else to say about that yeah i i'm i'm done i just the, the precise on Indiana Jones 5 is Indy is allowed to be Indy, but he's got another character who's allowed to be Indy right beside him, and she's phenomenally unlikable and not a hero and never redeems herself. So it makes the movie, emotionally speaking, a mess, and you're never going to feel like it's an Indiana Jones movie, uh, just on a gut level. Right. Uh, and people say it's great. Uh I don't know what movie they watched. It's a mediocre movie. And, uh, and, and, and we'll wrap up. I just want to go oh, back. We have over. an announcement. We have an announcement. Oh, uh, about the, uh, the show scheduling. Yep. Yeah, we are. We probably aren't going to be on, next saturday and we are probably moving the live show uh it's looking like it's going to be monday mondays uh we're gonna free up our weekends and yours uh and so look for that coming up uh, i don't know if we're i don't know if we're doing this monday or we're just anyway so what we're doing is we're going to be recording the live show on Mondays. And then we're going to be posting the show to YouTube and to uh, SoundCloud on Saturday. So you will be absolutely getting a new Geek Gab when you expect it every Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, um, to download to your devices, whatever. Um, but 
those of you who want to catch a live show, if you can, we're going to be doing it Monday nights. Um, and that's because uh, Saturdays have become uh, untenable due to real life uh, events. Um, and we have to work out if we're going to be able to record this Monday. Um, if we do, I will throw up announcements on Twitter and stuff. Uh, we expect um, uh, but we expect to be releasing shows every Saturday exactly at the same time. So you will be able to receive the show when you expect it. It just won't be a live show. That's it. So looking forward to it. Uh, that's it. Uh, that's all I have for today. I hope, uh, I hope we get some people show up for that live show on Monday. That'll be fun to do. Um, and that's it for me this week. Uh, we had some fun chatting in the chat about Disney and RPGs and, and whatever. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. And I hope everybody listening later really enjoys the conversation and War Pigs reviews on uh on these summer blockbusters as blockbusters as in bombs um but i'm done for this week uh daddy warpig take it away i want to thank everyone for uh listening live and i want to thank everyone who will listen later um this has been geek gab for saturday july 8th 2023 you can uh, catch us on soundcloud.com. You can catch us on the Google Play Store. You can catch us on the Apple iTunes Store. Just do a search for Geek Gab uh, or on youtube.com slash Geek Gab. Once again, that's youtube.com slash Geek Gab. We're going to have a show go up just about every Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. And if uh, you absolutely want to know uh, when those get released, uh, go ahead and subscribe. Uh, and you will get the announcements for both the live show. Uh, oh, and click the bell icon, apparently. You'll get the announcements for both the live show and for when the uh, uh, regular show goes up. Uh, we are signing out for today. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.